boats to pass safely. When approaching another boat to the side, the boat on the right has the right of way. But remember, when leaving the shore, let the boats in the traffic pattern go by first. They have the right of way in this circumstance. Sometimes you may want to pass a slower moving watercraft. Passing on the left or right side is legal as long as you leave enough room between watercraft to pass safely. Most people are used to being passed on the left in a car, so that may be the safer option. Pass far enough away so that your wake doesn't create a hazard for the other boat. If you're being passed, make sure that you don't turn into the path of the passing boat. While being passed, always maintain your direction and speed. During the summer months, Ocean Certified Lifeguards patrol the river on PWCs and walk the beach of Community Park. You can identify them by their bright neon yellow uniforms. Lifeguards on the river have the authority to issue commands and warnings to members of the public to keep everyone safe. The lifeguards are there for your safety and will respond to your aid in case of an emergency. Personal watercraft or PWCs are performance watercraft and should be handled with respect. Here are some PWC specific safety considerations. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Tuesday, November 7th, 3 p.m. Uh, we're here for a special meeting followed by executive session. Can I get a roll call, please? Seven council members are present. Thank you. Toby? Mayor D'Amico, council members, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. We spent about an hour or so this afternoon talking about the city's water master plan. Maybe not the most exciting presentation you'll ever hear, but probably one of the more expensive plans we've ever purchased. So. On the scale of entertaining and expensive, this definitely tips toward expensive, but meaningful, important, and something that we want you to understand and have a great complexity. As tough as this process is, I mean, we invested you know, $100 million into this water system from EPCOR. We are now marching forward with improvements, and so rather than just willy-nilly shotgunning it, which everyone said they didn't want to do, we need a plan. We need to adopt a plan and follow a plan. Now, of course, there's one kink to that system. Uh, Mayor D'Amico, myself, Travis Eddy, we've been applying for and working toward a $300 million grant to change this entire system. Now, all is not lost, though, right? We still have all of the lines, all of the wells, all of the tanks, everything that goes into the system. So even if we were to get that grant, it still will be employed into this. Might change the master plan a little bit, but it also, it's not gonna change the inherent composition of this. So, if you'll endure Mark for, and his team for the next hour, but feel free, if at any point in time you wanna ask a question, just let the mayor know. We can make this interactive as best as you'd like. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. So hopefully you guys can endure me for the next hour. <laughs> Before we get started on the pr actual presentation, there's a few people in the audience that I would like to introduce uh, that were very instrumental in getting this plan completed. Uh, Sean McCarty and Kyle McCarty 
were two of the principals with West Coast Civil, which was the entity that we worked with to get this plan completed, along with Jacobs Engineering. And Ryan Farnell, who is my manager of construction, he worked right hand in hand with me on this, on getting this plan put together. So uh, all of them deserve a lot of credit for this, this plan that we've put together. Um, the plan is included in this book. If you could turn it up a little bit, and this book. This is, this is the water master plan. Um, and I will go through a number of the items that are included in this. When I came to council back in February of 2022, and council approved us beginning on this path to create this water master plan, there were uh, a set of deliverables. If you could go to the first slide. Actually, if you go to the second slide, we've finished that. Um, this is page one of the deliverables that we had. And I'm gonna go through these and show what we've, what we've obtained through these deliverables. Uh, if you could go to the second page, and this is the rest of the deliverables. And we'll be taught, this is what this whole presentation's about, is these deliverables that we were looking to obtain by putting this master plan together. As Toby said, this is the first master plan that the city has ever had. We've never had a master plan before. When <laughs> citizens owned and operated the system, they did not have a master plan. When American bought it from citizens, they never created a water master plan. And when EPCOR had the system, they never created a water master plan for it. So this was the, is the first master plan for this city. For those of you that have been here forever, uh, recall this, these systems starting off as kind of a hodgepodge of things. I mean, you had one developer building here and one developer building there and, and kind of all over the place. And then ultimately, those water systems were interconnected. But there was never a plan put together as to what was the really the best way to integrate and put those different systems together. So we have kind of a hodgepodge system here of different areas that are put together, but it's not quite as efficient as it should be. And that's part of what we developed in this master plan. If you could go to the next slide. The first item on our deliverables list was to create a GIS map for the city. Now we did get a preliminary GIS map from EPCOR, but it had a lot of holes in it and we had to go through and QA and QC that plan. And so what we did was we flew the city and we produced a base map with one foot contours, which will allow us to continue to map and run our hydraulic models and work to expand the city in the future. Next slide. One of the, uh, one of the assets that we got out of this GIS map is we've got a number of layers. Daniel Parker, who helped us in this process, who actually just left the city last week, um, he helped us build these layers. So we've got layer upon layer of, of mapping that, over, that you can bring one layer up or, an, or two or three. So we've got a layer that shows this, which is our economic opportunity zones and our qualified census tracts. And this can be used, and in fact, Eddie does use this for a number of his grant applications. 
We've got a lot of other things. We've got a layer that shows our water lines. We've got a layer that shows our valves, our meters, our, our, um, our, our pressure reducing stations, our wells, our, so we've got layers for each of these and we can bring up or take out those layers as we need when we're working on different projects. So it's coming really, really handy. Next slide, please. This is a map of the city's water systems. Now, systems mean different things in different contexts. So the city has a water system, which is everything that we have in the city. But within that, per um, ADEQ rules, we actually have four different operating systems within the city. If you look at the very far north, it's a little hard to see on this, but in, in your books, you should, you'll have it. At the very far north end, those kind of three top sections that, where you see water mains there, that's the North Mojave system. And kind of buried in the middle of that North Mojave system is a little stretch along Locust Boulevard that, that is Lake Mojave Highland system. It's a small system, uh, but, it, but it is still considered a separate system. Uh, and the way that happened was because McCormick owned North Mojave and citizens owned Lake Mojave Highland system. So that's how we wound up with those two systems. Then kind of in the central part of the city, you'll see where, where there's the Desert Foothills Laughlin Ranch. Again, that's a separate system. Uh, and then the rest of that in kind of blue and green towards the bottom half, that's what we call our Mojave main system. And then that green that you see down there on the south, that's actually part of the Mojave main system, but we, it, we call it a subsystem of, of the Mojave main, and that's the Fox Creek area. And, and that's kind of listed out separately because it is such a large area of the city, and, and we had to develop plans a little bit separately for, for, for the Fox Creek area from the rest of the Mojave main system. Next slide. So what this shows us is one of the next items we were going to develop was a, uh, a water line replacement program. And what this document is showing you here is on the left-hand side, that shows you in percentages and, and miles how many of the different types of mains we have in the city. So the mayor's very well aware of what AB pipe is like. That's, that's that top one. And that in the ABS, we've got, um, we've got 27 miles of that ABS pipe in the city. Uh, some of it's running behind the mayor's house, which we've had some issues with. Um, and then we've got AC pipe, which is asbestos cement pipe. We've got 87 miles of that. We've got um, eight miles of ductile iron pipe. We've got 181 miles of our PVC, and that's what most people are used to. That's the plastic pipe that we use right now in our systems, and that's been used pretty much since the, since the late 80s. Um, it's what? This is this one. Yeah, the, yeah. 7.3, 7-3 slide. So toward the back of your book, 7.3. Like <laughs> yeah, this, this presentation was not, did not follow your, your executive We'll summary. make sure we give you the pages. Okay, thank you. 
<laughs> and then the figure, uh, so that shows you the different types of pipe. And then the graph next to it shows you what year those pipe, the pipe was put in, how many feet of pipe or miles of pipe was put in every year. And so most of the stuff that was put in in the 50s, 60s, and 70s is not of the same quality as the pipe that was put in in the later years, which is the PVC pipe, which is mostly what we have in our system today. Um, so some of that earlier pipe is, is causing us problems. It breaks. It's, as I said, it's not of the same quality. And so we had to determine what kind of pipes we had before we could start determining where we wanted to strike first to start our replacement program. Next slide. We also did an analysis of all of our systems. Um, that included all of the equipment, our pumps, our motors, uh, electrical equipment. Uh, they looked at our storage tanks, our wells. Uh, and this is, this is the results of all of that analysis. And, and you can, as you can see, the green at the bottom, which is the largest percent, uh, that was in pretty good shape. So we had 53% um, of our equipment was in pretty good shape. 25% of our equipment was unacceptable. It was okay. 3% uh, was eh, just it was it was working, but it's not the, in the greatest shape. Um, and 5% was failed. 5% uh, of the system equipment was in such bad shape that it just did not work. Um, Zero, per, or I should say 16% of it, or was it 18? 16% of that was uh, we weren't able to test. And the reason we weren't able to test is because there were certain pieces of equipment that we just could not take offline. Uh, so they, it just could not be tested because we couldn't take it offline. So that was our asset assessment. Then we move on to developing a demand study. Next slide, please. To begin the development of our demand study, uh, we started off with the city's general plan. Uh, and we looked at the land planning that had been approved by the public here. And that this map is, again, it doesn't um, really follow that 2-7 uh, is the page. It doesn't really flow with, with what we've got in your binders there because what I did with this presentation was I followed our deliverables list rather than what was in the bind in your binder. I should have probably followed your binder rather than the deliverables list. What was So this is what we use because this, this is laid out by single family homes, multifamily homes, commercial, et cetera. So we use this to come to what we felt our population areas were going to be so we could map it all out. Next slide. Then what we did was we looked at what our population was laid out at. So part of our population, the majority of our population is single family homes. So you finally found the page, and now I've moved on. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. 
I'll make sure that I put them in the same order for you when, uh, when I do it next time. Uh, we have multifamily housing, commercial, uh, yeah. et cetera. So this was the second part of coming up with that demand study because single family homes use a different amount of water than multifamily homes, than commercial developments. So this was the next part of that. Next slide. Then we looked at our population growth. And there were a number of different uh, avenues we could have taken. We looked at the transportation study that was done a few years ago and what their population estimates were. Uh, we looked at the Arizona Commerce Authority and how they came up with their population numbers. And what we did was, looking back at what Billy is, uh, has given us as new home uh, permits, uh, we came up with about 1% growth a year. And so that's what we, we, we decided to use, and that's that blue line in the middle that then extends with the gold line going up to 2090 when we're anticipating build out. Next slide. So this gets us to our, our demands. As you can see, um, our existing demand is about 6.7 million gallons a day. So on average, the public here in bullet, this is figure, 4-7. Um, in your book, it should be ES-3. In your executive summary, it should be ES-3. Um, so right now, today, on average, on an average day, our population in the city of Bullhead City for our water system uses 6.7 million gallons. Now there's a peak during that, you know, when everybody gets home from work, uh, and that peak is about 12, 12 and a half million gallons a day. So just about, just under double uh, what our average day demand is. And of course, it's all seasonal. We use more water during the summer than we do during the winter. Um, 2030, we anticipate the demand to go up, our average day demand to go up from about 6.7 6 million gallons a day to 8 million gallons a day. And then from 2030 to 2040, up to about 9.5. And at build out, we're anticipating to be somewhere around 22, 23 million gallons a day. So almost four times where we are today. Next slide. This slide on the left shows what our water use has been on an annual basis from 2004 through 2020. Uh, and so you can see over the years, it's, it's gone up and down. And then the, the chart on the right shows you that seasonality I was talking about. So you can see in the winter months, we use a lot less than we do in the summer months. Next slide. This, this slide is, is kind of an important slide. If you look at the far left of this slide, you'll see back in 2005, our population was just over 37,000 people. And then at the far right, you can see how our population has grown over those 17 years. Our population at the end of 22 was about 42.6, 42,600 people. So our population grew by about 15% over that 17 year period. So just under 1% a year, which is what we're using as our 
annual growth rate for our demand analysis. You'll also note that in the, on the far left, that red line that runs through that chart, you'll notice that we use 10,900 acre feet of water a year back in 2005 when our population was 37,000. If you look at the far left, when our population grew to 42, over 42,000 in 2022, which is the last full year we had available, our water use actually went down. We, our water use in 22 was 10,008. So our water use went down by 1%, but our population went up by 15%. Now, you can see there's been some up and down through that time. I mean, we did have some, some hard times there back in you know the 2008, 9, 10, 11 years when we weren't growing. Actually, we went down a little bit in population there for a while. Um, and then we started growing again and our water use started going up. But we started, at, when you see that spike in the middle in 2014, that's when we started our water conservation plan and our water conservation programs here in the city. That's when council first approved them. And you can see we saw a significant decrease right after starting that. We had a lot of people take turf out. We had a lot of people uh, taking their old toilets out and putting new ones in, uh, putting in high efficiency washing machines, irrigation controllers. Those first couple years, we had a lot of participation in the program. And so we saved a lot of water and that that has stayed. I mean, our population here is very water conscious. We get calls about water leaks all the time. Our crews get on them as fast as they can. So we've seen, we've seen some significant savings through our water conservation program. We've saved over 2,500 acre feet of water. And if you think about it, 2,500 acre feet of water when we're using 10,800 acre feet of water is a significant percentage. It's about just under 20% of our annual usage is what we've saved. We'd be up closer to that spike you see at 14,000 had our water conservation program not been in place. So that's kudos to the residents here and the city council for approving those programs. The next slide is a really, really busy slide. And you're not really gonna understand this and I, did, I put this in here on purpose just to show you the complexity of our system. There are many, many water systems that are much larger than ours that are not as complex as ours is, and that's because of all the elevation changes. If you see those horizontal lines on this graph here, each one of those horizontal lines equates to 100 feet in elevation gain. So we have a lot of, as everybody here knows, we've got a lot of elevation changes here in the city, which causes us to have to operate our system a little differently than somebody that's just working on a flat plane. So it makes our system much more complex. Next slide. This is based on 2021 data. You can see here, and, and the number that I really want you to focus on here is the numbers on the far right. You'll see that for the Mojave main water system, we had 21% uh, water loss. For the North Mojave Highlands, Lake Mojave Highlands systems, we had a 21% loss in water. Fox Creek was 23%, Desert Foothills was 6%. 
overall the system was wasting or losing 20% of its water. Now this was all before we took over the system. We didn't have data available for our operation of the system at the time this was put together. However, we've just completed our, our 22 uh, reporting to the Arizona Department of Water Resources, and our water loss has come down almost in half since we took over the system. All right, we got a question. Yes. Just a quick question. How do you measure the water lost? Well, what we do is we measure how much water, we know how much water we've produced in the system, how much water's come out of our wells to go to end customers, and we know how much is on the meters that our customers have used. So we, we subtract those two numbers and basically that gives us our water loss. Okay. Now, in that water loss, there is some certain amounts that are, are legitimate uses, it's just it's still included in that number, like uh, the fire department reports to me monthly how much water they use in fighting fires, and that's a legitimate use, and we, we just need to track it. Uh, there's water loss based on breaks, main breaks that happen in the system, and that's where most of your water loss comes from. But there are other things like uh, hydrant flushing that happens in the system, again, another legitimate use, uh, and, and uh, there's a few others that I can't remember off the top of my head, but we have a few others that are, are legitimate uses of water, but that number has gone from 20% down to 10%, all of that together. Yes? Hey, Mark, quick question. Uh, out of the 42 million people in this city, how many people are on the, uh, I'm sorry, 42,000? <laughs> thought it was in LA. Um, how many people are actually on the water system? Do we have any people that are not on the water system? Yes, we do. There are um, the folks that live at the far south end, Royal Vista, Rio Lomas, uh, El Camino Village, those are on Bermuda water. So they're not included in any of this information that we have here. And we have a few other pockets here and there, like in the uh, Colorado River States area where we just don't have water lines there yet. Um, that area was never developed with, with a centralized water system, so they've got their own wells. But other than that, pretty much the rest of the city is on Now, will those people be included in this master plan so that forward you can look at maybe bringing them online? They, they are, but they're after the 10-year period. So the first 10 years of this water master plan is to get redundancy in the system, as I'll show you here in a little bit, we have no redundancy in this system. We have just enough water to provide service to the customers we have today. So, uh, kinda, so it'll be a while before they get service. Dan, you kinda gotta fix the car that you got that's uh, running, but not running at its best before you go buy the new car. <laughs> <laughs> so, any other questions? Okay, next slide, please. One of the big things that we were trying to accomplish with this master plan was finding where our system deficiencies were. Because we needed to know what wasn't working before we could go out and start fixing things. And what we did was we looked at the different areas, and this is a blow up. We've, we've got a bunch of maps and a bunch of detail that, that is not here that we need to be able to fix this system. Um, this is showing the, 
the Mojave main area of the system. And as you can see, the red dots are the areas that are primary, the yellow are the secondary areas that we need to address. We know we've got about 87 miles of four inch and smaller mains in the city that are causing us some problems. We need to fix those. Um, again, we don't have redundancy in the system, so we need some additional production capacity. We're short on storage capacity in the system, so we need some additional reservoirs. But this, this is kind of a, a high level look at where we need to attack on the distribution system side. Those distribution mains are the ones that bring water to your homes. Yes? So does that map correlate to this not to that map so much as the one on the pipes that shows the age of the pipes and the type of pipes. Yes, that one. That correlates to that one more. Uh, the next slide shows the same th information for the North Mojave area of the city. As you can see, there are fewer problem areas there on the north side, but we still have issues that in those areas as well, that we've got some four inch and smaller pipes up there that need to be addressed. And then if you go to the next, sil next slide, that shows the central area, the Laughlin Ranch. You'd think Laughlin Ranch would have nothing that needed to be taken care of since it's such a new development, but there are still some problem areas there and desert foothills that need to be addressed. Next slide. This is another critical slide that I want to focus on for a couple of minutes here. The blue line in this map shows our average day demand. The gray line is the line that shows our max day demands. That's the maximum use per day. That's when people get home, take showers, things like that. And you'll notice that this is set up for all the five different subzones, subsystems we have in the city. Now there's a, a solid blue line there, and that's what we call our supply, our firm supply. And that's the supply we have with our, with our largest source out of service. And you can see for most of these systems, except for the Mojave Main, we're, we're in, we're in trouble if, if our main well goes out in any of these systems. And you'll see that our total supply for these systems just barely makes it over what our average day demand is. So we desperately need to get additional supply into the system. Now we've started that, we've got two new wells going in right now. We've got our 24-2 well under construction as we speak. And then we've got our 20-1 well that's also started construction. Those will help that Fox Creek area in getting them some backup supply. And as well as the Mojave main system. Now the Desert Foothills, the North Mojave and the Lake Mojave Highlands, those three systems, we're gonna be working on integrating those together so they will become one system so that they can back up each other. We just don't have the piping in place yet to do that. So this, this, is, this is kind of critical because I wanted you to see graphically just how close our supply is to our actual use. 
and EPCOR had years of, of milking this system without putting in supply. Where they put in supply, they, they did drill a couple of new wells. They drilled uh, Laredo Village 1 and Laredo Village 2 wells. Each of those wells only produce about 85 gallons a minute, which is, is not enough really to do any, any of us any good. It's just, it's just, it's just not. Um, we've got 21 wells in our system. Of those 21 wells, nine of those wells produce less than 100 gallons a minute. Nine. So almost half the wells we have here in the city produce less than 100 gallons a minute. So you need a lot of wells to produce enough water at that rate. We'd have to be popping holes on everybody's block to get enough water. We do have five wells that produce very well, and they're primarily in the south side end of the city, and they produce over a thousand gallons a minute. So one of those wells produce as much water as all of the wells in the north half of the city. Next slide, please. This is our existing water system. And this is, um, let's see what, So within the city of Bullhead City, as I said, we've got 21 wells, we've got somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, we've got thousands of valves, we've got a couple thousand fire hydrants, uh, we've got somewhere over 300 miles of, of water mains. So the city, again, is very complex. We've got 48 pressure zones in the city. Um, of the wells that we have, like I said, only five of them produce more than a thousand, more than a thousand gallons a minute. Um, so the city really does need to find another source of water, and that other source is going to have to be surface water from the river, because we can't continue to spend millions of dollars and pump in to drill a well that only produces 85 gallons a minute. It's, it's just a total waste of money. So we are going to be looking at surface water treatment, and Toby already alluded to the fact that we've put in for a $300 million grant, and council approved us putting in for that grant for two surface water treatment plants. So that is what we need to do going forward. Uh, next slide, please. So as I said, we're looking to do some system integration here. This map here, in the very center part of that, that's Lake Mojave Highlands. And around it is North Mojave system. So what we're going to do is we're gonna be putting in three PRV valves between Lake Mojave Highlands and North Mojave, and that will put, allow us to take the Lake Mojave Highlands system completely offline. We will feed it completely from Lake Mojave Highlands. This is one of the least expensive projects we have, but we unfortunately, because all of the wells in our northern system are so small, even though this well in Lake Mojave Highlands only produces 85 gallons a minute, I need every drop of water I can get in the north part of the system to keep it running. So I need to keep that 85 gallons a minute online for now. So there are a lot of efficiencies that we can get through this system, but there are, it's like playing dominoes. We have to get all of our dominoes lined up just right before we can set them all off. And until we get 
Lake Mojave Highlands to have, or excuse me, the North Mojave system to have more water, which is hopefully this surface water treatment plant. If we don't get the surface water treatment plant, we will have to drill a new well for the north part of the city. Another big well like we're drilling down here on Riverview and 24 site. Mayor, Mayor Jumiko, I have a question. Um, if we do get that grant, what's the estimated time that that would be able to be used, the surface water? Well, what we've been told by the Fed so far is that that money will have to be used within three years. So we will use it within three years. It will all be spent in three years, trust me. And, and could I add to that, that uh, the first, they're gonna be giving out the money in different time frames. The first uh, allocated allocations will be going out this January. And Probably not January, they're looking more like March, April, sometime in the spring now. And then the ones after that will be a year later. Uh, what they said well, it them. depends on how fast our construction proceeds. No, I'm talking about the, uh, the money coming from, if we were to get the, receive the funds, the funds would com come out, they're giving the, some of the funds out this mm -hmm. next calendar year, and then the others will be followed the, the following calendar year. Well, and again, it, for, if we get the grant, we, say we get the full 300 million, we'll get that, basically we'll have access to that as soon as we sign the agreement. So it just depends on how fast we're able to do the construction as to how fast we would get the funding. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So with doing this integration, there's, there's a number of benefits that we get, efficiencies we get, um, we will, our testing will change because instead of chest testing for three separate systems, we'd test for one because we'd have, we'd get North Mojave, Lake Mojave Highlands and the Desert Foothills Laughlin Ranch will become one system. That'll be our North Mojave system. And then we have the Mojave main system in the south. So we'll get the city down to two systems in fairly short order and then eventually we'll have it all integrated and it'll just be the Bullhead City system. Can you let everybody know the quality, how much better the quality will be too? Well, with the, with the surface water treatment plants, we will be pulling water out of the river and we will be treating it. The, there, there's a, a, a term called TDS, total dissolved solids. That's those minerals that are dissolved in water. And the reason your water tastes the way it does and smells the way it does. So the more TDS you have in the water, typically the harder your water is and the more taste you, you taste in the water. So we will be, through those surface water treatment plants, we will be removing that some of that TDS. Not, not all of it because you don't want to take everything out of the water because then the water gets too aggressive. Um, but right now, our wells typically have somewhere around 1,400 TDS in the water. River water is somewhere around six, 700. So we'd be starting with a much better product just pulling it out of the, out of the river. We still need to treat for bacteria and viruses and, and, and all of that, but we will also be treating to take some of the TDS out of the water. And again, until we actually get the go-ahead and start doing water testing at, the, at our river intake, uh, we, we haven't come out with a, an exact design for the plant yet, so that's still kind of in the offing. But getting back to the integration, what that'll allow us to do is become a lot more efficient. For example, on the south side of the city here, um, what we will be able to do is we'll be able to pump 
water from our new well 20-1 in Big Bend up to a tank at what we call an elevation of 780, which is about Arcadia Boulevard up there, where the stop sign is on North Oatman. From there, we'll be able to gravity feed it down. We don't need to boost it anymore. Mother Nature is a wonderful helper to the water industry and the sewer industry, and we're gonna let her do the work for us, and she's gonna gravity that water back down so that we don't have to pump it two, three times to get it to somebody's home. And that's how we've laid out this system moving forward is we're trying to use gravity as much as possible as opposed to electricity and pumping. So that means we can get rid of a number of facilities. Go to the next slide, please. This is our Mountain View Reservoir. This is located in the old, or excuse me, the River District area. Um, you can't really tell so much from this slide the way it is, but that kind of silvery, dark silver um, piece of steel you see at the very kind of below the tank there, that is what we call a grade ring, and that is supposed to support the foundation of that reservoir. And as you can see, it's just kind of laying there on the ground. So it's not really supporting that reservoir's foundation at all. So this is one of the tanks we've got scheduled to be taken out of service um, once we get Rancho Colorado intertie completed. We've, uh, we've taken over the Rancho Colorado system. We've put in the PRV valve to interconnect that with Desert Glen, and we just need to do some valve insertions uh, on the highway in Merrill, and then we'll be able to feed the river district with water from Rancho Colorado, and this tank will become non-useful to us. The next slide. <coughs> this is our Bullhead City 5 booster station and well site. This site, again, we've had a lot of problems with it, uh, a lot of mechanical problems, and so this would also go away. We would no longer be using this booster station and this well. Again, this is one of those low-producing wells that doesn't really provide us much benefit. Next slide. I mentioned Laredo Village well one and two. This is well one. It produces 85 gallons a minute. It is still in operation. But once we get uh, these new, uh, new wells in place and some of the transmission main, this will be targeted for go being taken out of service. And again, this is a low producer well, um, but we still have to pay the electrical cost to run it. We still have to chlorinate the system for this, this well. So all that'll go away. Uh, next slide. This is Laredo Village 2. These are the two wells that EPCOR put in. They only produce, like I said, 85 gallons a minute. Those storage tanks only hold about 35,000 gallons each. Uh, we have to boost the water out of here to get it to be uh, in, a, in a position to be useful to our water system. And so we really don't uh, have a need for this. What we wanna do is we wanna take everything that we were doing here, pump it up to our upper boost, our upper reservoirs up in Laredo Village behind uh, Laredo Village subdivision, those tanks you see up there in the desert. Uh, all of this water will go up there from other wells that will replace these two. Uh, next slide. Pegasus Ranch, this is part of that Lake Mojave Highland system. And again, these become superfluous once we get that interconnection between North Mojave 
and this system. Again, we have booster pumps here that we have to use to be able to feed the system. We're gonna be gravitating everything into Lake Mojave Highlands, so these booster pumps go away, the electrical costs go away, the maintenance for these two tanks. In fact, one of them is out of service right now. Uh, next slide. This is the Lake Mojave Highlands system, and this one's in really bad shape. There's two tanks here, one of them is out of service as well. Um, the well only produces 85 gallons a minute, and again, once this is interconnected with the North Mojave system, these facilities are no longer needed and will be retired. Now, what we will do is when we do retire these systems, uh, we will be taking out any of the components that we can reuse elsewhere and using it elsewhere. But a lot of these components, especially in this, this one and the Pegasus Ranch one, they're just so old and they're just really not worth, there's really nothing there worth saving at this point. Um, next slide. Once it's retired, will those large tanks then be removed? Yes. Um, in the past, we've had some pretty good luck. Uh, there are companies that will come and take those down to keep the steel. So, and it usually works out cheaper to have them do that rather than us take it down and try and scrap it. Thank you. Uh, this is our Mojave Drive booster station. Uh, this is a place where we just had some recent issues. We put a new booster pump in here and we're putting a second new booster pump in here. But this will go away once we get our, our Arcadia tank online because our, the Arcadia tank will service that Miracle Mile area. So uh, we will be doing some small inner ties like on First Responder Way and between uh, City Square Mall in Alta Vista. And what that'll allow us to do is feed all of those areas with that 780 tank and we'll be able to boost everybody's pressure there by about five to 10 PSI. So all of those folks along Miracle Mile will be very happy. So basically from Walmart to the Wendy's up there, uh, actually further north than that, uh, all the way up through City Square to Hancock Road, all of them will have a pressure boost there. Next slide. And this is uh, Riverview Mall. Because of where Riverview Mall is, we just couldn't get the pressure there, so we have a booster station there just for the Riverview Mall area. And again, once we get that Arcadia tank on board, uh, we'll be able to take this booster station out. So you see there's a lot of electrical costs that we will be saving with all these booster stations we'll be able to eliminate through this process. And that's part of the, the reasoning behind this study was to make our system more efficient and more effective in how we operate it. Our operators, when you don't have to worry about booster pumps, maintaining booster pumps, which there's quite a few that we'd be getting rid of, well sites, it makes the operator's job a lot easier and we can focus on those things that are really important. The next thing we looked at was fire flows. Next slide, please. And so we looked at the whole system and we found that we do have some areas where there are some some fire flow issues. Uh, we knew that going into this, just from information that we'd received from the fire department. So uh, we've, we've highlighted those areas on this map. We have some primary areas, which are the first ones, which are noted in red here. Those will be the first ones that we need to address. And then the yellow ones are secondary, and those will have a little more time to address those in the future. 
but all of these will be addressed. We also have a number of fire hydrants that are out, currently out of service. Um, we now are fully staffed on our water side, so we have a hydrant tech that will be going out and starting to maintain, flush, pressure read, all of our hydrants in the system. It's gonna be kind of, uh, the program's gonna be kind of similar to what our roads department has where they go through and they hit every road in the city every five years. Well, we'll be going through all of our fire hydrants and we don't know how long it's gonna take because this first time through, it's probably gonna take us a lot longer than it will once we get through this first time and get all these hydrants maintained and, and up to speed. Um, but we've got about 2,500 hydrants in the system, so it is gonna take us some time to get through this first time. Next slide. So all of this that we've done, that we've talked about here before, gets us down to the capital improvement plan. And this is a really, really busy diagram. And we've got all of these projects, and you'll see that they're laid out all over the city, from north to south. We've got projects for improvements. Some of these are booster pump stations, wells, storage tanks. Um, some of them are, are pressure reducing stations, um, mainline extensions, transmission mains that we need to install. Uh, we're, we're really starting off behind the eight ball here. Um, EPCOR had not spent um, money on the system. American had not spent money on the system. Citizens had not spent money on the system. So we're playing catch up for 20 years of neglect. And so it's gonna take some time and some money to make up for that 20 years of neglect. And that's what this map here is showing. So we've got everything prioritized from A through J, well, J, J is developer project, so I. So A through I is really the projects that the city will be undertaking over the next 20 years. Now we have a detailed 10-year CIP plan, and then we've got another 10-year that's just kind of a lump sum right now. Uh, and between now and 10 years from now when they get through the plan, uh, I'm sure other things are going to come up that my my successor will have to deal with, but, um, but this, this plan gives us a really, really good start at what we need to do to get a good, solid working system for our population that has redundancy, that has efficiency. Uh, the system will be integrated, which will help that efficiency. Um, that way, we don't need as many employees. The more efficient we can have the system be, we want the system to run itself as much as possible. And that's where we get to trying to set everything up for Mother Nature to help us out. Because with Mother Nature helping us out, we don't have to re maintain booster pumps as much. We don't have to do all this work that will go away once we have all of these new systems in place. Next slide. I showed you this sli a, a similar slide to this earlier on. This slide, you'll see all of that red that's been added to it. That's all those capital projects that were on that previous page laid out on this map. So we get even more complex by putting in all of these, these new facilities, but in some respects, we get a lot less complex because we don't have all the same booster pumps. So Mother Nature takes care a lot of, of a lot of this for us moving forward. 
And I just wanted you to see how this map changes. Um, so kind of keep, keep an eye and, and, and remember how this looks, because we're gonna, we're gonna show you another one similar to this here in a bit. Next slide. We've got a lot of new development going on in the city, but as you saw in those earlier diagrams, we just barely have enough water for the customers that we have now, which means we're gonna need additional facilities for this new construction that's gonna come in. So we're gonna have to, and, and we have planned for that, it's just we're gonna need the dollars from those developers to be able to construct th these new facilities that will be needed. So next slide. This is the developer projects. Based on the development that we know of at this point, these are the projects that would need to be completed to be able to service those new customers. In some areas, we don't need as, much as many facilities. Most of the facilities are needed on the north side of town because again, that's where we have less production capacity, so we need more help on the north side than we do on the south side. Next slide. So this is our 2040 map. This is where we should be in 2040. So that's, you know, still a ways out, 17 years out, but this is, these, these are the projects that will need to be completed for the population that we anticipate having in 2040. And the map, show the next slide please. And this is our build out. And you can see how this one goes a lot higher on that map than the other ones did. And that's because as our city grows, we're gonna be growing up into the mountains to the east here. So the farther we go up, the higher in elevation we have to get. Next slide. This is our capital budget. This is our 10 year plus 10. So we've got basically our capital budget shows about $10 million a year in capital being needed to meet the capital improvement plan that we put together here through this water master plan. Now, will we get $10 million a year? No. Probably not. So uh, what that means is it won't be completed in 10 years. It'll take us something longer than 10 years. But again, we've prioritized all the projects, so the projects that are higher priority will be the ones that are done first. The priority projects we have for next year, maybe the year after that they get done because we just don't have the money but we do have a plan <coughs> and we have a very solid plan. It's based on all the data that we collected. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is, this is really the Bible that we've been following and we will be following at least as long as I'm here and then my successor I'm assuming will be following it as well through this water master plan. Master plans are typically done and update it every 10 years. So 10 years from now when this thing's updated, we'll see how much of this we've been able to accomplish and they'll, they'll go from there. Uh, next slide. Again, this is that same capital improvement map that I showed you two slides ago, but I felt it bore uh, another look because there's a lot of things that the city's water system needs um, again, we're playing catch up for 20 years of neglect, and so that's why we have so many projects that need to be completed over the next 10, 20 years. 
And then the last slide that I have for you, this is just, just an example. I didn't wanna bring all of these, but we have samples of all of these developer, or all of the construction projects, capital projects that we need to do. We've got detail on how those will be laid out in more detail. Um, but I didn't want to give you too much detail because I felt there was a lot of detail in here already and I didn't want to overwhelm you and Toby wouldn't give me the time anyway. So, <clears throat> so this is just an example of one. This is showing Riverview, which is at the bottom of where those kind of purplish lines are. You'll see a green line running along. That's the transmission main that will go from well 20-1 and up to the Arcadia tank. You see how that green line continues to the right and then moves up and <clears throat> right in the middle there of those green lines, there's a little storage tank showing there. And that tank then will gravity feed back down into the Riviera area, River Bend and Holiday Shores area. So we do have detail on all of these plans that we've put together. And uh, that's really the end of my presentation because I was hoping that I'd get some qu more questions from you so that I can explain even more of this, but I didn't want to talk about things that weren't really of interest to the council. Mr. Mayor, I have a couple questions. Um, if we do get that grant, uh, how much of the CIP money do you think would be budgeted for the new water treatment plants over the next 10 years? That's an excellent question, thank you. I was hoping somebody would ask that one. Um, if we get the full 300 million, we've got about $40 million worth of projects that we have in our CIP that would be paid for by the grant. Because the grant is for two surface water treatment plants, but you still have to get the water from those surface water treatment plants to the end users. So there's transmission mains, there's storage tanks, there's some booster pumps. So all of that would be, is included in the grant. So we would have somewhere 35 to $40 million worth of those projects would be included. And most of those projects that would be included in that 300 million are projects that we have in 24, 25, 26, because those are our highest priority items is, is getting water to our end customers. So those would actually all be covered, which means that some of those projects that were I hesitate to use the term lower priority, but they would have been a lower priority if those items still were on the table. We can move those forward and we could use less dollars each year. We need less capital dollars each year, but we could start getting a little bit ahead of the curve. Okay. One other, Council Member, one other way to look at it though, all of this is done without talking about raising rates, mm -hmm. right? We committed, right. staff committed to not raising rates now we've owned this system for over two full years. We have not raised rates. EPCOR has raised their rates throughout the state of Arizona. So we have it. So we'll probably go a full three years, potentially, without raising rates. By the time we finish a rate study, bring it to council, interpret that, move forward on that. So one thing to keep in mind is we've created rate stabilization for our customers, saving them well over $2 million that they would have paid to EPCOR. That being said, the grant matters immensely. Mm -hmm. Mayor D'Amico, Travis are going to DC next week to try to further our efforts to get that grant. We didn't think that grant was a possibility when we started the water master plan. Because quite frankly, if that $4 billion would have been available last year, we wouldn't have done this. Mm -hmm. But we did it and it's the right thing to do. So now we have a good plan that 300 million changes everything. So I don't think we can sit here and promise you 
a segregated portion of our budget will go to that capital. Because I think we have to rethink this master plan if we get the 300 million. If we don't get it, this is what we gotta do. We have to march forward with this capital based on a budget and a potential rate, rate increase in the future. So that's the plan. Now, if we get the 300 million, I think we all come back and we re-look at this master plan based on what Mark has explained and then say, okay, what portion of the capital is getting reinvested in this versus paying off debt mm -hmm. versus letting lines break and fixing them, which I know some people on the council would prefer we not have line breaks in their backyard. <laughs> so Mark, Mark is correct, there's a lot of investing, but outside of this very technical water master plan, there's also the part that you and your constituents are, should be very concerned about, and that's the water rate. And in order to do these things, you will have to raise rates. And that's something that most of your constituents don't want to do. Well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but having this master plan going with Mayor Jamie Go and Travis going to DC, this is a great way to show them we need this. So I think it's, I know it was expensive, but I think this really puts some tools in their hand to show them that we need it. I have one other question. Um, which you might not know the answer, but uh, how much CIP is gonna go to water storage to meet any fire uh, water storage needs, if any? Well, I don't think we really broke it out in those terms by water storage and water, water production. Uh, we broke it out by priority and by area instead because okay. storage, usually you're adding storage where you're adding production. So um, we didn't really break out the dollars that way. I mean, I can, I, we can calculate out what that would be. I just don't have that right now here in but front maybe of me. even a more simplified answer too is, we gotta get our current fire hydrants to work. Yeah, so that so was my last question was, does the city own the actual hydrants or does the fire department own the hydrants? We own most of the hydrants. There are some private hydrants within the city, like at some of the, like Riverview Mall has some private hydrants and other areas have some their own private hydrants. But the bulk of them, um, we figure there's somewhere around 2,000 that are ours. Okay, and then as far as your, I'm very happy that you have enough staff to go check these. Are we doing anything with SMART? technology to, I know you love SMART, I love it too. I'm just curious if that's something that we're gonna be implementing as we go around and check them. Absolutely, one of the things that uh, we're working on is uh, implementing a, a SMART technology in the fire hydrants. Yeah. Because what they have is there's something called an eye hydrant that we've kind of narrowed in on as, as the choice. Uh, it's made by a company called Clow and uh, these hydrants actually have in the bonnet of the hydrant, it gives us pressure readings and temperature readings. So we would know about a break typically before a customer does, once we get the whole program implemented. But it's gonna take somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple hundred height of those eye hydrants to be moved, installed around the system. And they're not, not the cheapest thing in the world. They're about $6,000 a piece for each hydrant. So. Um, it, it's gonna take us some time. We're working with Clow right now to come up with uh, a program, but we do have in this capital budget, we have uh, dollars in here to start replacing hydrants um, because that, that it, it is very important. We have got a lot of hydrants that are not in the best of shape and 
we'll start finding them uh, as, as our crews start getting out to do some testing. Thank you very much. Hey Mark, uh, looking at this um, master plan and the over the years, were the dollars on the plan escalated to reflect then year dollars? No, they were not. So that would be quite a. Quite it a depends bit on what inflation is. Yes, it could okay. it could be quite a bit different okay. in the out years. Yes. Mr. Mayor, quick question. What, uh, as far as the tanks, if we're not utilizing them, could they be used for storage or those are not good for something like that? Well, the problem is that the tanks are in such bad shape mm -hmm. that, uh, that we're, we're it, it would cost us more in, in some cases. Now again, until we go in and, and start doing our inspection program, which we have the first six tanks selected and uh, we're gonna be going to the city manager for approval to get going on, on inspecting the first six tanks here uh, later this year. So we're gonna start inspecting tanks on a regular basis, which again, EPCOR had not been doing. So we'll, we'll see what they look like once we start getting inside them. And if we don't use them for storage, uh, and if they have to go, what do you utilize that property for? Uh, it'll be available for disposal because most of those properties are not really in the location where we would need a tank or a well. Uh, for example, those Laredo Vista sites, uh, they're, they're not high enough really for us to use for um, storage and the wells there produce so, so such a small amount of water that they're just not worth doing anything with other than disposing of them. All right, thank you. And council member, we have done a comprehensive analysis of all of the properties and parcels we acquired through EPCOR, and those will be going to REO in the next couple of months, sort of a few at a time, that are no longer needed and are set for disposal. Yes, Dan. <coughs> when a new developer comes in, do they kick in a certain amount or a certain percentage to put in water lines? They will be, yeah. So we we actually since we've taken over the system, we've had only really already approved development opportunities come along like Fox Creek. Um, so there's been s very little developer contributions. So if there's any new projects, and I think Mark was referring to, okay, there's a couple of new projects on the queue. That's the opportunity for us to sit down with them in their development agreements and talk about their contributions or line extensions or what they need to do for water and sewer. Thank you very much, Tim. Yeah, because typically a developer will build the on-site facilities themselves, but they may not need a full million gallon tank. Maybe they only need half a million gallons. So what we would do is we would take the money from them, we would build the tank, and then when the next developer came along, they would pay in money for the other part of that tank. our time. Do we have anyone from the audience that has any questions? All right, then that concludes our meeting. Uh, we're going to move into an executive session. Uh, we'll take a little short break, a little five-minute break before we go in there. But uh, in the meantime, could I get a motion for us to move into executive session? So moved. All right. Second. Everybody say aye. 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 Thank you.
Bullhead City is known for its diversity of housing types and styles. From million-dollar homes on the Colorado River to existing site-built and manufactured housing and condominium projects, we have housing to suit any personality and budget. Baby boomers from across America relocate to Bullhead City because of its affordability. In fact, Bullhead City is one of the most affordable cities in Arizona. New subdivisions are being built throughout the community, offering magnificent views of the Black Mountains, Laughlin Casinos, and the Mojave Desert. Local developers, brokers, and real estate agents are here to help make your move convenient and affordable. A large selection of rental housing is also available in the area. From traditional single-family homes to mobile homes, condos, RV park spaces, and apartment complexes offering amenities like pool spa areas, workout facilities, and clubhouses. There is a rental option for everyone. Come to Bullhead City. We promise you feel at home from the first hello. in Bullhead City is like being on vacation all year long. With 365 days of warm desert sunshine, we are an outdoor lover's paradise with parks and playgrounds, municipal swimming pool, fields, and many other organized sports facilities. There's a community spirit here that can't be found in larger cities. We treasure our neighbors and treat strangers as friends. We breathe fresh, clean air and enjoy a rush hour free commute. Bullhead City's great personality and abundance of natural resources provide a wealth of opportunities for people of all ages, including a public library, diverse restaurants, several golf courses, health fitness centers, and many first-class resorts in our sister city of Laughlin, Nevada. From simple pleasures to nights on the town, there's a lot to like in Bullhead City, Arizona. Per city ordinance, all operators of rented personal watercraft, PWCs, are required to wear wristbands, signifying they have watched and understand the safety video in its entirety, and they have signed the Consumer Protection Form attesting to that fact. Failure to wear the wristband, watch this video, or sign the Consumer Protection Form prior to operating a rented PWC may result in fines or other penalties. Hello. I'm Chief Robert Treves of the Bullhead City Police Department. Each summer, thousands of people come to our area to enjoy the Colorado River, and many, like you, take to our waters on a rental watercraft. Unfortunately for some, the day is ruined when they are involved in a watercraft accident. Many of these accidents can be avoided by learning and practicing simple boating safety rules. We produce the following video to teach you these rules and help you have a safe, enjoyable experience on the Colorado River. 
Personal watercraft, or PWCs, are performance watercraft capable of thrilling speeds and maneuvers. They are not toys, and they can be highly dangerous if used improperly. All riders are legally required to operate their PWC in a responsible manner. When traveling above a wakeless speed, riders must maintain at least 60 feet between themselves and other watercraft. Turning sharply to spray another PWC, boat, or someone on the beach is dangerous and illegal. Be aware of other boats around you. Avoid crisscrossing in front of other boaters and blocking their view. Remember, your PWC is capable of making very fast turns. Look around you before you turn. Don't surprise other boaters with sudden or unpredictable maneuvers. Jumping wakes or other boats is also very dangerous and against the law. Just like on the road, there's a pattern to the traffic on the river. It's counterclockwise. An easy way to remember this is to always keep the shore to your right. When approaching another watercraft head-on, both watercraft should turn to their right. This will allow both boats to pass safely. When approaching another boat to the side, the boat on the right has the right-of-way. But remember, when leaving the shore, let the boats in the traffic pattern go by first. They have the right-of-way in this circumstance. Sometimes you may want to pass a slower-moving watercraft. Passing on the left or right side is legal as long as you leave enough room between watercraft to pass safely. Most people are used to being passed on the left in a car, so that may be the safer option. Pass far enough away so that your wake doesn't create a hazard for the other boat. If you're being passed, make sure that you don't turn into the path of the passing boat. While being passed, always maintain your direction and speed. During the summer months, ocean-certified lifeguards patrol the river on PWCs and walk the beach of Community Park. You can identify them by their bright neon yellow uniforms. Lifeguards on the river have the authority to issue commands and warnings to members of the public to keep everyone safe. The lifeguards are there for your safety and will respond to your aid in case of an emergency. Personal watercraft or PWCs are performance watercraft and should be handled with respect. Here are some PWC-specific safety considerations. PWCs are fast-moving, agile watercraft. Protect yourself by wearing goggles, gloves, and footwear. Stay away from the intake grate at the bottom of the PWC. Loose life jacket straps, bathing suits, or long hair can be sucked into the jet. Avoid being behind the water jet nozzle, especially when the throttle is applied. The water jet can throw rocks or debris and injure you. Do not apply the throttle when someone is in the water behind you. Before operating a personal watercraft, make sure your PWC lanyard is attached to either your wrist or your life jacket. This will kill the engine and prevent your PWC from taking off without you if you fall. Everyone on a PWC must wear a properly fitted life jacket. A life jacket that's too big or too small will not keep you safe in the water. Your rental company will help you select the proper size jacket. Taking a passenger with you to enjoy the experience is a great way to spend the day. All passengers should be seated behind the operator. Make sure that all passengers' feet can reach the bottom of the foot trough. All passengers should be strong enough to hold onto the operator or the seat strap. Don't place small children in front of the operator. Learn how to properly write a turned-over PWC. If not done properly, it can severely damage the PWC. Make sure you are physically up to writing your PWC. Although you don't plan on overturning your craft, you may end up in the water. Writing an overturned PWC in river currents can be strenuous. 
your rental company can give you instructions on how to do so properly. Whether you've fallen off or jumped in, you'll need to get back onto your PWC. The most stable way to do so is from the rear. Remember, there are no brakes and no off-throttle steering. Give yourself plenty of time to avoid hazards and don't outride your experience. Ask your rental company for details on operating the model you have rented and a demonstration on the water. There are areas on the river where you'll need to slow down, including several no-wake zones. Areas near a marina or any launch ramp are no-wake zones. Wake is the trail of white water and waves that follow a quickly moving vessel. While in a no-wake zone, slow down so that no wake is behind your watercraft. Going downstream, this is easy. Going upstream is a bit more challenging, but slow speeds can and must be maintained. Operators should be aware that the area south of the community park boat launch is a no-wake zone. The beaches in the Bullhead City Laughlin area are very crowded with many people swimming and wading in the water. Use extra caution while operating a watercraft near crowded beaches. People swimming near these beaches can be hard to see and avoid. Anytime you're in a congested area, slow down for the safety of everyone and to avoid a collision. There are also areas on the river where watercraft are not permitted at all. The swim beach at Community Park is a location designated for swimmers to enjoy the water without risk of injury from watercraft and is marked by a line of buoys. The area of the Colorado River just south of the Davis Dam is blocked off for all swimmers and watercraft by a bright orange barrier. Do not attempt to enter these areas with a PWC. Not only is it illegal to do so, but it's also dangerous and can cause significant damage to your PWC. The river environment has some inherent dangers that all operators should be aware of. Docks along the edge of the river can be a significant hazard. Swift currents can pull your watercraft into the docks, dangerously lodging you against them. Steer clear of docks along the river. Likewise, stay away from the bridge abutments. In any waterway, there are varying water depths. The Colorado River's clear water can make judging the water depth difficult. Stay clear of areas where the water appears to be a dark brown color. These areas are typically shallow waters. The depth of the Colorado River is affected by geography, weather, and the water release schedule of the Davis Dam. When the dam releases more water, the river levels rise, making the river deeper and safer for navigating a PWC. When the dam releases less water, the river becomes shallower, making conditions more hazardous for operating a PWC. As a general rule, water levels will be highest towards the middle of the day and lowest in the early morning and late evening. The current release schedule for the Davis Dam can always be found on the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation website. Only operate a PWC when the water levels are sufficient for safe operation. The swift currents can affect how your watercraft will respond. An inexperienced operator could lose control or have their PWC turned over. Do not make sudden turns or movements in areas of strong currents. Bullhead City is known as Arizona's hottest destination. Summer temperatures can exceed 110 degrees Fahrenheit. On a watercraft, you're directly exposed to summer sun. While getting in the river is a great way to cool off, you must remember to hydrate. Water is your best bet. Drink water before you feel thirsty and remember to wear sunblock. Summers also bring in monsoonal activity. These are quick moving thunderstorms with very high winds. Pay attention to the water around you. If you see storm activity, have a plan to quickly return to a safe area. 
If you see lightning or hear thunder, get off the water. Lightning can travel many miles away from storm clouds. Being out on the water and in the sun can compound the effects of alcohol and or drugs. Boating while intoxicated is not just unsafe, it's illegal. Operating a watercraft under the influence carries fines and jail time just like a DUI on the road. We encourage you to have a designated operator anytime you go boating. Thank you for taking the time to watch this video. It is our goal to help you avoid tragedy by being an educated and safe operator. I encourage you to continue your education by taking boating safety courses. There are several great options to choose from online. Thank you and stay safe. Hi, I'm Kim Cool, Senior Services Program Manager for Bullhead City. And I'd like to tell you about the Senior Campus. The Senior Campus is a hotspot for active individuals ages 50 plus. We offer daily activities, including various exercise classes, like Zumba, eccentrics, commonly known as aging backwards, body moves for brain power, arthritis pain exercise, fall prevention classes, relaxation and mindfulness exercise, and chair exercise. If you're creative or would just like to learn, we've got lots to offer with beading, crocheting, knitting, sewing quilting, painting, drawing classes, and card making. Perhaps you're a game player. Well, don't worry. We've got you covered with bingo, pinochle, poker, hand and foot, pass the trash, bunko, Mexican train, and skipbo. There's also computers, puzzles, games, books, videos, and DVDs to keep you entertained. Many people just need support or resources, and we're your hub for giving you the contacts you need. Plus, we offer meetings to include veterans benefits, Medicare information, technology tutoring, document preparation assistance, men's support group, caregiver support, bereavement support for those recovering from loss, cancer support, Gamblers Anonymous, dementia education, and amputee support. There are just so many opportunities for making new friends by attending our parties, ice cream socials, line dancing, karaoke, monthly birthday celebration, and happy hour. Most importantly, we make sure you're educated through monthly lunch and learns and our free mini clinic. You owe it to yourself to come in and check us out. Perhaps during our Monday through Friday nutritious congregate lunch. Lunches are served at 1130 and last lunch is at noon with a suggested donation of $3 from those aged 60 and above or disabled individuals and $4 to those who are under 60. All this said, the senior campus also extends our reach with the Meals on Wheels program delivering lunches and a wellness check to many area seniors who are homebound. Plus, we are home to the Angels Essential Area, where individuals can shop freely for durable medical equipment donated by our local community. If you have any questions, please call 928-763-0193 or stop in to see us at 2275 Train Road here in Bullhead City. We are located off Highway 95 between Marina Boulevard and Hancock Road, right next to City Hall.
we've had many, many problems. You've heard me talking about the wipes and, and the flushable wipes that are really not flushable. Uh, we've had to replace two or three uh, pumps at the beginning of that plant to a cost of about $40,000 a piece uh, just about every year. First up, history is made with the groundbreaking for Northwestern Arizona's first on-campus student housing. Many community leaders, including the current and former mayors of Bullhead City, were there to celebrate this historic moment. The 60-plus bed housing complex will be completed next summer, ready for students attending fall semester 2024. And community leaders from throughout the MCC district are part of the college campus advisory councils. They're meeting this month with college administrators to get an update on what's happening at MCC and, perhaps more importantly, provide valuable feedback from the communities. Congratulations to the students who completed the Emergency Medical Services Paramedic Program. The five graduates were celebrated at this pinning ceremony with family, friends, instructors, and representatives from the Lake Havasu City Fire Department. For more information on the EMS paramedic program, head online to mojave.edu. Then in the middle of the homepage, click Health and Public Services. Then click Emergency Medical Services. And speaking of EMS, the College Health and Public Services Division partnered with local agencies for Healthcare Simulation Week. We caught up with them for this emergency labor delivery training utilizing one of the college computerized SIM patients. MCC partnered with Kingman Regional Medical Center, Kingman Fire, Northern Arizona Fire, and Wallapai Mountain Fire for this training series. The Kingman campus Fall Semester Spirit Week was full of fun activities and a chance for students to check out all the clubs and services on campus. There were many events, including donuts with Dr. Klippenstein, a stitch and crochet night, movie night with mascot Blaze at Brendan Theaters, and step aerobics with women's team soccer coach Cynthia Cervantes. Fifth graders from Mojave Accelerated Learning Center recently toured the Bullhead City campus. This is part of a larger college pilot program to introduce the importance of college to elementary students. The students visited many of the programs to see the wide variety of options, and the visit included the library, which is open to everyone in the community. You can check out items from here, so if you want to have your parents bring you here sometime, you can more than welcome to get a library card and check out items. If you'd like more information about the fifth grade pilot project, send an email to mcc at mojave.edu. The Lake Havasu City campus held several events to help highlight Hispanic Heritage Month. It included traditional Mexican music performed by MCC student Pascual Santos. The campus also brought in bands and dancers to help share the culture. The Kingman Student Activities Council held a forum with Hispanic community members, including Havasu campus dean Dr. Maria Ione, to share their experiences on the path to career success. Mascot Blaze was a big hit with the kids at the Mojave County Fair. The college booth was once again a popular site for people to visit and learn about all the college programs and services to help improve people's lives. 
A few dozen employees volunteered their time to represent the college and share information with the community during the four-day event. One, two, three. Go Seahawks! MCC employees and students had a great time representing the college at the 2023 Andy Divine Days Parade. The emergency medical services ambulance was there, along with employees and students handing out candy. And Blaze never misses a parade and a chance to meet as many people as possible. In Peach Springs, the MCC Wallapai Business Center, known as Thrive Wallapai, was on hand to support community members who took part in a fun run and walk. This was all part of a week-long celebration of Wallapai sovereignty. Another packed house as the Bullhead City Campus kicked off the spooky season with its second annual Paranormal Night. The Phoenix Paranormal Society gave a presentation that included different types of paranormal equipment they use and much more. The College Esports and Arts Club had a great time representing the college at the first annual Kingman Comic Con. Esports had games for attendees to play and the Art Club had a Gotham City backdrop for people to take pictures. The third annual Bighorn Leadership Academy kicked off this fall semester. 21 MCC employees are in this year's academy, which will put them through a series of classes, teaching them how to become successful leaders. Stay up to date on college news and events by following the College News and Events section at Mojave.edu and all the college social media channels. If you have a story idea, send it to mcc at mojave.edu, and you could see it right here on the next newscast. City meetings held at 5.30 p.m. in the city council chambers. City Council meetings are held every first and third Tuesday of the month. Planning and zoning meetings are held every first Thursday of the month. And Parks and Recreation meetings are held every third Wednesday of the month. If you miss a meeting, but you want to stay informed on your community, all meetings can be watched on the city's website at www.bullheadcity.com. Community Park is the ideal place for year-round outdoor activities. Whether you're a local or just visiting, this picturesque park includes amenities such as a kid's playground, a dog park, and two ball fields. A recreational paradise, Community Park also offers almost a mile of free public beaches with added covered ramadas that are available to the public. Visitors to the park can obtain information about our community from the Bullhead Area Chamber of Commerce or glance back into the history of the Tri-State with the Colorado River Historical Society Museum of Bullhead City. No matter your age, Community Park has something for everyone. So come on out and enjoy!
For a great weekend, consider reserving one of Rotary Park's 28 medium and small ramadas for a great day and barbecue in the park right along the beach. Those looking for a venue to host a large party or gathering should consider one of Rotary's two large ramadas each equipped with power and water. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. daily. Hello, my name is John Torquato and I work for the City of Bullhead City in the Wastewater Division. I'm here to remind you and to stress that there are only three things that should be disposed of in the sewer system. One, human waste, two, toilet paper, and three, gray water. Please do not flush any disposable or non-disposable wipes, baby wipes, paper towels, napkins, or any other paper or non-paper products as this will cause a major sewer backup. And when I say major sewer backup, this is what I mean. This is our drying bed, and this is, um, our trucks pump this out, clean it out of the sewer lines, and they come here and dump. And what it's supposed to be is basically grease and human waste. And as you can see, it is more than that. We have wipes, we have plastic bag, razors, pencils, candy wrappers, screw, pieces of styrofoam. There's just a piece of plastic. Hundreds and hundreds of tampon plastic applicators that should be thrown in the trash, never down the sewer. This, these clumps of stuff here that we're looking at, the white and the green stuff that you're seeing, is baby wipes, wipes, and paper. It plugs our pumps, and then it's labor and pulling the pump, and labor and diagnosing it. We have to send it out to a company when it burns up the pump and we're talking minimum $40,000, $50,000 of taxpayers' dollars that can be avoided very easily. With over 300 acres of space, six softball fields, a baseball field, Firebird football field, eight lighted pickleball courts, a lighted tennis court, lighted basketball courts, a lighted skate park, a nine-hole regulation disc golf course, a beach volleyball court, five kilometers of hard surface walking and biking trail, and enough soccer fields to host over 200 teams in one location, Rotary Park is Bullhead City's premier outdoor sports destination. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. daily. The City of Bullhead has contracted with Republic Services for the collection, transportation, and disposal of solid waste for the residents and businesses located within the city limits. Remember that blue carts and green carts are now both trash bins as residential recycling is discontinued throughout the city. Republic Services will be collecting trash Monday through Thursday. Monday's service area includes the general area of Silver Creek Road north including the areas on the west side of Highway 95 between Silver Creek and Raymar Road. Monday service will also include the areas surrounding the airport, McCormick Road, and both subdivisions on the north side of Highway 68. Tuesday service area includes the area west of Highway 95 between Hancock Road and Riverview Drive all the way to the Colorado River plus the Chaparral Terrace subdivision. Wednesday service area includes Riviera area from Hancock Road north to the Colorado River as well as the area south of Raymar Road to Mojave Drive. Thursday service area includes Chaparral Golf Course, Fox Creek, Arroyo Vista, and Clearwater Hills. Under the current agreement with Republic Services, residents are allowed six bulky item pickups per year. 
To schedule or learn more about the services, visit the city's website at bullheadcity.com and navigate to the community tab, then to trash, recycling, and bulky item pickups. If you have questions concerning trash and recycling or to schedule a bulky item pickup, please contact Republic Services at 928-758-0000. Rotary Park is the home of two annual AYSO soccer tournaments, three annual pickleball tournaments, four annual 5K races, and a different softball or baseball tournament almost every weekend of the year. The, the city has done tremendous things with Rotary Park with the addition of pickleball courts. In addition to major annual tournaments, Rotary Park accommodates several city and youth recreational leagues throughout the year. We have 55 acres of quality fields that are lit. We are kind of the premier um, sports tourism hub because we have not only the facilities but we also have the hotel rooms. Rotary Park also offers many other great amenities for locals and visitors to enjoy. Over one mile of free public beaches at Rotary Park lie right along the Colorado River and are enjoyed year-round by swimmers, boaters, fishermen, and more. There's also a motorized and non-motorized boat dock, as well as a fishing jetty and fish cleaning station. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. daily. Hello, and welcome to Bullhead City, Arizona, a beautiful community on the Colorado River. I'm Tom Brady, and I'm privileged to serve as the mayor of this rapidly growing city. Bullhead City welcomes thousands of visitors to our community each year for special events and to enjoy the Colorado River, Lake Mojave, and city recreational amenities. I invite you to visit us through these online videos and then come and see for yourself what makes Bullhead City such a popular destination. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Here in Bullhead City, that statement is really true. Nestled along the Colorado River at the point where Arizona, California, and Nevada meet, every view of Bullhead City is a postcard. Bullhead City is the economic and retail shopping hub for all of Mojave County and southeastern Clark County, Nevada region. More than 3 million people travel through Bullhead City every year to enjoy our warm weather and even warmer hospitality. Bullhead City hosts many special events throughout the year. We have just over 40,000 residents who get to enjoy all Bullhead City has to offer all year round. Come visit Bullhead City to see how you too can enjoy this paradise in the desert. Bullhead City is a rich recreational playground with amenities for the whole family to enjoy. Bullhead City's beauty provides the perfect backdrop for enjoying a day of hiking, off-roading, swimming, or just relaxing in one of the many parks in the community. The warm temperatures allow outdoor activities any day of the year. Outdoor lovers can choose between the cool, fast-flowing Colorado River or the warm, smooth waters of Lake Mojave for water sports like boating, water skiing, personal watercraft, and sports fishing throughout the year. 
Special events as the Splash Bash provides locals with extra excitement throughout the year. Many sports tournaments also provide an increase in recreation and in tourism for city residents and visitors. Bullhead City is a vibrant, prosperous area where building and growth flourish. The Laughlin Bullhead International Airport continues to grow. In the last 10 years, we've added over 1 million square feet of retail space, with every major retailer reporting better than expected sales. With many more national name brand stores continuing to take advantage of the friendly business environment and the experienced and knowledgeable workforce, shopping locally is easier than ever before. Bullhead City is serious about bringing new and expanding businesses to the tri-state area. We promise to make every effort to ease your transition. We offer several incentives to new qualified retail startups and will facilitate the use of state incentives for new industries interested in relocating to our region. Visit Bullhead City today and see firsthand why we're one of Arizona's fastest growing cities and the retail hub of Mojave County. In Bullhead City, we take education seriously. That philosophy is evident by the wide range of learning opportunities we offer, from preschool through college. With low student-to-teacher ratios within the Bullhead City area, we have several elementary, middle schools, and high schools, as well as charter and private schools offering after-school learning programs, technical training and computer labs, sports and overall academics. Those interested in pursuing an advanced degree have a number of options to choose from. The Bullhead City campus of Mojave Community College is a two-year fully accredited public college with four campuses in Mojave County. And Northern Arizona University hosts a distant learning site through Mojave Community College, offering a variety of undergraduate and graduate degree programs. The community supports education and fosters an environment of community engagement. We think you'll agree, Bullhead City is a great place to learn. Bullhead City is known for its diversity of housing types and styles. From million dollar homes on the Colorado River, to existing site-built and manufactured housing and condominium projects. We have housing to suit any personality and budget. Baby boomers from across America relocate to Bullhead City because of its affordability. In fact, Bullhead City is one of the most affordable cities in Arizona. New subdivisions are being built throughout the community, offering magnificent views of the Black Mountains, Laughlin Casinos, and the Mojave Desert. Local developers, brokers, and real estate agents are here to help make your move convenient and affordable. A large selection of rental housing is also available in the area. From traditional single-family homes to mobile homes, condos, RV park spaces, and apartment complexes offering amenities like pool, spa areas, workout facilities, and clubhouses. 
there is a rental option for everyone. Come to Bullhead City. We promise you feel at home from the first hello. in Bullhead City is like being on vacation all year long. With 365 days of warm desert sunshine, we are an outdoor lover's paradise with parks and playgrounds, municipal swimming pool, fields, and many other organized sports facilities. There's a community spirit here that can't be found in larger cities. We treasure our neighbors and treat strangers as friends. We breathe fresh, clean air and enjoy a rush hour free commute. Bullhead City's great personality and abundance of natural resources provide a wealth of opportunities for people of all ages, including a public library, diverse restaurants, several golf courses, health fitness centers, and many first-class resorts in our sister city of Laughlin, Nevada. From simple pleasures to nights on the town, there's a lot to like in Bullhead City, Arizona. Per city ordinance, all operators of rented personal watercraft, PWCs, are required to wear wristbands, signifying they have watched and understand the safety video in its entirety, and they have signed the consumer protection form attesting to that fact. Failure to wear the wristband, watch this video, or sign the consumer protection form prior to operating a rented PWC may result in fines or other penalties. Hello. I'm Chief Robert Treves of the Bullhead City Police Department. Each summer, thousands of people come to our area to enjoy the Colorado River, and many, like you, take to our waters on a rental watercraft. Unfortunately for some, the day is ruined when they are involved in a watercraft accident. Many of these accidents can be avoided by learning and practicing simple boating safety rules. We produce the following video to teach you these rules and help you have a safe, enjoyable experience on the Colorado River. Personal watercraft, or PWCs, are performance watercraft capable of thrilling speeds and maneuvers. They are not toys, and they can be highly dangerous if used improperly. All riders are legally required to operate their PWC in a responsible manner. When traveling above a wakeless speed, riders must maintain at least 60 feet between themselves and other watercraft. Turning sharply to spray another PWC, boat, or someone on the beach is dangerous and illegal. Be aware of other boats around you. Avoid crisscrossing in front of other boaters and blocking their view. Remember, your PWC is capable of making very fast turns. Look around you before you turn. Don't surprise other boaters with sudden or unpredictable maneuvers. Jumping wakes or other boats is also very dangerous and against the law. Just like on the road, there's a pattern to the traffic on the river. It's counterclockwise. An easy way to remember this is to always keep the shore to your right. When approaching another watercraft head-on, both watercraft should turn to their right. This will allow both boats to pass safely. When approaching another boat to the side, the boat on the right has the right-of-way. But remember, when leaving the shore, let the boats in the traffic pattern go by first. They have the right-of-way in this circumstance. 
Sometimes you may want to pass a slower moving watercraft. Passing on the left or right side is legal as long as you leave enough room between watercraft to pass safely. Most people are used to being passed on the left in a car, so that may be the safer option. Pass far enough away so that your wake doesn't create a hazard for the other boat. If you're being passed, make sure that you don't turn into the path of the passing boat. While being passed, always maintain your direction and speed. During the summer months, ocean-certified lifeguards patrol the river on PWCs and walk the beach of Community Park. You can identify them by their bright neon yellow uniforms. Lifeguards on the river have the authority to issue commands and warnings to members of the public to keep everyone safe. The lifeguards are there for your safety and will respond to your aid in case of an emergency. Personal watercraft or PWCs are performance watercraft and should be handled with respect. Here are some PWC specific safety considerations. PWCs are fast moving, agile watercraft. Protect yourself by wearing goggles, gloves, and footwear. Stay away from the intake grate at the bottom of the PWC. Loose life jacket straps, bathing suits, or long hair can be sucked into the jet. Avoid being behind the water jet nozzle, especially when the throttle is applied. The water jet can throw rocks or debris and injure you. Do not apply the throttle when someone is in the water behind you. Before operating a personal watercraft, make sure your PWC lanyard is attached to either your wrist or your life jacket. This will kill the engine and prevent your PWC from taking off without you if you fall. Everyone on a PWC must wear a properly fitted life jacket. A life jacket that's too big or too small will not keep you safe in the water. Your rental company will help you select the proper size jacket. Taking a passenger with you to enjoy the experience is a great way to spend the day. All passengers should be seated behind the operator. Make sure that all passengers' feet can reach the bottom of the foot trough. All passengers should be strong enough to hold onto the operator or the seat strap. Don't place small children in front of the operator. Learn how to properly write a turned over PWC. If not done properly, it can severely damage the PWC. Make sure you are physically up to writing your PWC. Although you don't plan on overturning your craft, you may end up in the water. Writing an overturned PWC in river currents can be strenuous. Your rental company can give you instructions on how to do so properly. Whether you've fallen off or jumped in, you'll need to get back onto your PWC. The most stable way to do so is from the rear. Remember, there are no brakes and no off-throttle steering. Give yourself plenty of time to avoid hazards and don't outride your experience. Ask your rental company for details on operating the model you've rented and a demonstration on the water. There are areas on the river where you'll need to slow down, including several no-wake zones. Areas near a marina or any launch ramp are no-wake zones. Wake is the trail of white water and waves that follow a quickly moving vessel. While in a no-wake zone, slow down so that no wake is behind your watercraft. Going downstream, this is easy. Going upstream is a bit more challenging, but slow speeds can and must be maintained. Operators should be aware that the area south of the Community Park Boat Launch is a no-wake zone. The beaches in the Bullhead City Laughlin area are very crowded with many people swimming and wading in the water. Use extra caution while operating a watercraft near crowded beaches. People swimming near these beaches can be hard to see and avoid. 
anytime you're in a congested area, slow down for the safety of everyone and to avoid a collision. There are also areas on the river where watercraft are not permitted at all. The swim beach at Community Park is a location designated for swimmers to enjoy the water without risk of injury from watercraft and is marked by a line of buoys. The area of the Colorado River just south of the Davis Dam is blocked off for all swimmers and watercraft by a bright orange barrier. Do not attempt to enter these areas with a PWC. Not only is it illegal to do so, but it's also dangerous and can cause significant damage to your PWC. The river environment has some inherent dangers that all operators should be aware of. Docks along the edge of the river can be a significant hazard. Swift currents can pull your watercraft into the docks, dangerously lodging you against them. Steer clear of docks along the river. Likewise, stay away from the bridge abutments. In any waterway, there are varying water depths. The Colorado River's clear water can make judging the water depth difficult. Stay clear of areas where the water appears to be a dark brown color. These areas are typically shallow waters. The depth of the Colorado River is affected by geography, weather, and the water release schedule of the Davis Dam. When the dam releases more water, the river levels rise, making the river deeper and safer for navigating a PWC. When the dam releases less water, the river becomes shallower, making conditions more hazardous for operating a PWC. As a general rule, water levels will be highest towards the middle of the day and lowest in the early morning and late evening. The current release schedule for the Davis Dam can always be found on the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation website. Only operate a PWC when the water levels are sufficient for safe operation. The swift currents can affect how your watercraft will respond. An inexperienced operator could lose control or have their PWC turned over. Do not make sudden turns or movements in areas of strong currents. Bullhead City is known as Arizona's hottest destination. Summer temperatures can exceed 110 degrees Fahrenheit. On a watercraft, you're directly exposed to summer sun. While getting in the river is a great way to cool off, you must remember to hydrate. Water is your best bet. Drink water before you feel thirsty and remember to wear sunblock. Summers also bring in monsoonal activity. These are quick moving thunderstorms with very high winds. Pay attention to the water around you. If you see storm activity, have a plan to quickly return to a safe area. If you see lightning or hear thunder, get off the water. Lightning can travel many miles away from storm clouds. Being out on the water and in the sun can compound the effects of alcohol and or drugs. Boating while intoxicated is not just unsafe, it's illegal. Operating a watercraft under the influence carries fines and jail time just like a DUI on the road. We encourage you to have a designated operator anytime you go boating. Thank you for taking the time to watch this video. It is our goal to help you avoid tragedy by being an educated and safe operator. I encourage you to continue your education by taking boating safety courses. There are several great options to choose from online. Thank you and stay safe. Hi, I'm Kim Cool, Senior Services Program Manager for Bullhead City and I'd like to tell you about the Senior Campus. The Senior Campus is a hotspot for active individuals ages 50 plus. We offer daily activities, including various exercise classes like Zumba, eccentrics, commonly known as aging backwards, body moves for brain power, arthritis pain exercise, 
fall prevention classes, relaxation and mindfulness exercise, and chair exercise. If you're creative or would just like to learn, we've got lots to offer with beading, crocheting, knitting, sewing, quilting, painting, drawing classes, and card making. Perhaps you're a game player. Well, don't worry. We've got you covered with bingo, pinochle, poker, hand and foot, pass the trash, bunko, Mexican train, and skip bow. There's also computers, puzzles, games, books, videos, and DVDs to keep you entertained. Many people just need support or resources, and we're your hub for giving you the contacts you need. Plus, we offer meetings to include veterans benefits, Medicare information, technology tutoring, document preparation assistance, men's support group, caregiver support, bereavement support for those recovering from loss, cancer support, Gamblers Anonymous, dementia education, and amputee support. There are just so many opportunities for making new friends by attending our parties, ice cream socials, line dancing, karaoke, monthly birthday celebration, and happy hour. Most importantly, we make sure you're educated through monthly lunch and learns and our free mini clinic. You owe it to yourself to come in and check us out. Perhaps during our Monday through Friday nutritious congregate lunch. Lunches are served at 1130 and last lunch is at noon with a suggested donation of $3 from those age 60 and above or disabled individuals and $4 to those who are under 60. All this said, the senior campus also extends our reach with the Meals on Wheels program delivering lunches and a wellness check to many area seniors who are homebound. Plus, we are home to the Angels Essential area where individuals can shop freely for durable medical equipment donated by our local community. If you have any questions, please call 928 763 0193 or stop in to see us at 2275 Train Road here in Bullhead City. We are located off Highway 95 between Marina Boulevard and Hancock Road right next to City Hall. had many, many problems. You've heard me talking about the wipes and, and the flushable wipes that are really not flushable. Uh, we've had to replace two or three uh, pumps at the beginning of that plant to a cost of about $40,000 a piece uh, just about every year. First up, history is made with the groundbreaking for Northwestern Arizona's first on-campus student housing. Many community leaders, including the current and former mayors of Bullhead City, were there to celebrate this historic moment. The 60-plus bed housing complex will be completed next summer, 
ready for students attending fall semester 2024. And community leaders from throughout the MCC district are part of the College Campus Advisory Councils. They're meeting this month with college administrators to get an update on what's happening at MCC and, perhaps more importantly, provide valuable feedback from the communities. Congratulations to the students who completed the Emergency Medical Services Paramedic Program. The five graduates were celebrated at this pinning ceremony with family, friends, instructors, and representatives from the Lake Havasu City Fire Department. For more information on the EMS Paramedic Program, head online to mojave.edu. Then in the middle of the homepage, click Health and Public Services. Then click Emergency Medical Services. And speaking of EMS, the College Health and Public Services Division partnered with local agencies for Healthcare Simulation Week. We caught up with them for this emergency labor delivery training utilizing one of the college computerized sim patients. MCC partnered with Kingman Regional Medical Center, Kingman Fire, Northern Arizona Fire, and Wallapai Mountain Fire for this training series. The Kingman Campus Fall Semester Spirit Week was full of fun activities and a chance for students to check out all the clubs and services on campus. There were many events, including donuts with Dr. Klippenstein, a stitch and crochet night, movie night with mascot Blaze at Brendan Theaters, and step aerobics with women's team soccer coach Cynthia Cervantes. Fifth graders from Mojave Accelerated Learning Center recently toured the Bullhead City campus. This is part of a larger college pilot program to introduce the importance of college to elementary students. The students visited many of the programs to see the wide variety of options, and the visit included the library, which is open to everyone in the community. You can check out items from here, so if you want to have your parents bring you here sometime, you can more than welcome to get a library card and check out items. If you'd like more information about the fifth grade pilot project, send an email to mcc at mojave.edu. The Lake Havasu City Campus held several events to help highlight Hispanic Heritage Month. It included traditional Mexican music performed by MCC student Pascual Santos. The campus also brought in bands and dancers to help share the culture. The Kingman Student Activities Council held a forum with Hispanic community members, including Havasu Campus Dean Dr. Maria Ione, to share their experiences on the path to career success. Mascot Blaze was a big hit with the kids at the Mojave County Fair. The college booth was once again a popular site for people to visit and learn about all the college programs and services to help improve people's lives. A few dozen employees volunteered their time to represent the college and share information with the community during the four-day event. One, two, three. Go MCC employees and students had a great time representing the college at the 2023 Andy Divine Days Parade. The Emergency Medical Services Ambulance was there, along with employees and students handing out candy. And Blaze never misses a parade and a chance to meet as many people as possible. In Peach Springs, the MCC Wallapai Business Center, known as Thrive Wallapai, was on hand to support community members who took part in a fun run and walk. This was all part of a week-long celebration of Wallapai sovereignty. Another packed house as the Bullhead City Campus kicked off the spooky season with its second annual Paranormal Night. 
The Phoenix Paranormal Society gave a presentation that included different types of paranormal equipment they use and much more. The College Esports and Arts Club had a great time representing the college at the first annual Kingman Comic Con. Esports had games for attendees to play, and the Art Club had a Gotham City backdrop for people to take pictures. The third annual Bighorn Leadership Academy kicked off this fall semester. 21 MCC employees are in this year's academy, which will put them through a series of classes teaching them how to become successful leaders. Stay up to date on college news and events by following the college news and events section at mojave.edu and all the college social media channels. If you have a story idea, send it to mcc at mojave.edu and you could see it right here on the next newscast. City meetings held at 5.30 p.m. in the City Council Chambers. City Council meetings are held every first and third Tuesday of the month. Planning and zoning meetings are held every first Thursday of the month. And Parks and Recreation meetings are held every third Wednesday of the month. If you miss a meeting, but you want to stay informed on your community, all meetings can be watched on the City's website at www.bullheadcity.com. Community Park is the ideal place for year-round outdoor activities, whether you're a local or just visiting. This picturesque park includes amenities such as a kid's playground, a dog park, and two ball fields. A recreational paradise, Community Park also offers almost a mile of free public beaches with added covered ramadas that are available to the public. Visitors to the park can obtain information about our community from the Bullhead Area Chamber of Commerce or glance back into the history of the Tri-State with the Colorado River Historical Society Museum of Bullhead City. No matter your age, Community Park has something for everyone. So come on out and enjoy!
For a great weekend, consider reserving one of Rotary Park's 28 medium and small ramadas for a great day and barbecue in the park right along the beach. Those looking for a venue to host a large party or gathering should consider one of Rotary's two large ramadas each equipped with power and water. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. daily. Hello, my name is John Torquato and I work for the City of Bullhead City in the Wastewater Division. I'm here to remind you and to stress that there are only three things that should be disposed of in the sewer system. One, human waste, two, toilet paper, and three, gray water. Please do not flush any disposable or non-disposable wipes, baby wipes, paper towels, napkins, or any other paper or non-paper products as this will cause a major sewer backup. And when I say major sewer backup, this is what I mean. This is our drying bed, and this is, um, our trucks pump this out, clean it out of the sewer lines, and they come here and dump. And what it's supposed to be is basically grease and human waste. And as you can see, it is more than that. We have wipes, we have plastic bag, razors, pencils, candy wrappers, screw, pieces of styrofoam. There's just a piece of plastic. Hundreds and hundreds of tampon plastic applicators that should be thrown in the trash, never down the sewer. This, these clumps of stuff here that we're looking at, the white and the green stuff that you're seeing, is baby wipes, wipes, and paper. It plugs our pumps, and then it's labor and pulling the pump, and labor and diagnosing it. We have to send it out to a company when it burns up the pump and we're talking minimum $40,000, $50,000 of taxpayers' dollars that can be avoided very easily. With over 300 acres of space, six softball fields, a baseball field, Firebird football field, eight lighted pickleball courts, a lighted tennis court, lighted basketball courts, a lighted skate park, a nine-hole regulation disc golf course, a beach volleyball court, five kilometers of hard surface walking and biking trail, and enough soccer fields to host over 200 teams in one location, Rotary Park is Bullhead City's premier outdoor sports destination. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. daily. The City of Bullhead has contracted with Republic Services for the collection, transportation, and disposal of solid waste for the residents and businesses located within the city limits. Remember that blue carts and green carts are now both trash bins as residential recycling is discontinued throughout the city. Republic Services will be collecting trash Monday through Thursday. Monday's service area includes the general area of Silver Creek Road north including the areas on the west side of Highway 95 between Silver Creek and Raymar Road. Monday service will also include the areas surrounding the airport, McCormick Road, and both subdivisions on the north side of Highway 68. Tuesday service area includes the area west of Highway 95 between Hancock Road and Riverview Drive all the way to the Colorado River plus the Chaparral Terrace subdivision. Wednesday service area includes Riviera area from Hancock Road north to the Colorado River as well as the area south of Raymar Road to Mojave Drive. Thursday service area includes Chaparral Golf Course, Fox Creek, Arroyo Vista, and Clearwater Hills. Under the current agreement with Republic Services, residents are allowed six bulky item pickups per year. 
To schedule or learn more about the services, visit the city's website at bullheadcity.com and navigate to the community tab, then to trash, recycling, and bulky item pickups. If you have questions concerning trash and recycling or to schedule a bulky item pickup, please contact Republic Services at 928-758-0000. Rotary Park is the home of two annual AYSO soccer tournaments, three annual pickleball tournaments, four annual 5K races, and a different softball or baseball tournament almost every weekend of the year. The, the city has done tremendous things with Rotary Park with the addition of pickleball courts. In addition to major annual tournaments, Rotary Park accommodates several city and youth recreational leagues throughout the year. We have 55 acres of quality fields that are lit. We are kind of the premier um, sports tourism hub because we have not only the facilities but we also have the hotel rooms. Rotary Park also offers many other great amenities for locals and visitors to enjoy. Over one mile of free public beaches at Rotary Park lie right along the Colorado River and are enjoyed year-round by swimmers, boaters, fishermen, and more. There's also a motorized and non-motorized boat dock, as well as a fishing jetty and fish cleaning station. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. daily. Hello, and welcome to Bullhead City, Arizona, a beautiful community on the Colorado River. I'm Tom Brady, and I'm privileged to serve as the mayor of this rapidly growing city. Bullhead City welcomes thousands of visitors to our community each year for special events and to enjoy the Colorado River, Lake Mojave, and city recreational amenities. I invite you to visit us through these online videos and then come and see for yourself what makes Bullhead City such a popular destination. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Here in Bullhead City, that statement is really true. Nestled along the Colorado River at the point where Arizona, California, and Nevada meet, every view of Bullhead City is a postcard. Bullhead City is the economic and retail shopping hub for all of Mojave County and southeastern Clark County, Nevada region. More than 3 million people travel through Bullhead City every year to enjoy our warm weather and even warmer hospitality. Bullhead City hosts many special events throughout the year. We have just over 40,000 residents who get to enjoy all Bullhead City has to offer all year round. Come visit Bullhead City to see how you too can enjoy this paradise in the desert. Bullhead City is a rich recreational playground with amenities for the whole family to enjoy. Bullhead City's beauty provides the perfect backdrop for enjoying a day of hiking, off-roading, swimming, or just relaxing in one of the many parks in the community. The warm temperatures allow outdoor activities any day of the year. Outdoor lovers can choose between the cool, fast-flowing Colorado River or the warm, smooth waters of Lake Mojave for water sports like boating, water skiing, personal watercraft, and sports fishing throughout the year. 
Special events as the Splash Bash provides locals with extra excitement throughout the year. Many sports tournaments also provide an increase in recreation and in tourism for city residents and visitors. Bullhead City is a vibrant, prosperous area where building and growth flourish. The Laughlin Bullhead International Airport continues to grow. In the last 10 years, we've added over 1 million square feet of retail space, with every major retailer reporting better than expected sales. With many more national name brand stores continuing to take advantage of the friendly business environment and the experienced and knowledgeable workforce, Shopping locally is easier than ever before. Bullhead City is serious about bringing new and expanding businesses to the tri-state area. We promise to make every effort to ease your transition. We offer several incentives to new qualified retail startups and will facilitate the use of state incentives for new industries interested in relocating to our region. Visit Bullhead City today and see firsthand why we're one of Arizona's fastest-growing cities and the retail hub of Mojave County. In Bullhead City, we take education seriously. That philosophy is evident by the wide range of learning opportunities we offer, from preschool through college. With low student-to-teacher ratios within the Bullhead City area, we have several elementary, middle schools, and high schools, as well as charter and private schools offering after-school learning programs, technical training and computer labs, sports and overall academics. Those interested in pursuing an advanced degree have a number of options to choose from. The Bullhead City campus of Mojave Community College is a two-year fully accredited public college with four campuses in Mojave County. And Northern Arizona University hosts a distant learning site through Mojave Community College, offering a variety of undergraduate and graduate degree programs. The community supports education and fosters an environment of community engagement. We think you'll agree, Bullhead City is a great place to learn.